Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas Hill. It's NFL Draft Week, for those of you who don't know, one of my favorite weeks of the year. I don't know if it's one of Colin's favorite weeks of the year, but I'm going to make him talk about it anyways. Well, you're underselling yourself. It's not one of your favorite weeks of the year. You're this right. Is your favorite week it, of is, year. it is my favorite week of the year. I, I have been an NFL Draft nerd since I was a kid, and I was dreaming of growing up and being Mel Kuyper, which again, I know sounds like the nerdiest thing you've ever heard, but it's true. Uh, so, so this is a week that I love. I just get into full NFL draft mode. I've spent the past couple days spending way too much time agonizing over my mock draft in which we already know that the majority of the picks will be wrong. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun thing. It's something that, you know, I've, I've enjoyed for a long time. And certainly, uh, if you're an Ohio State fan, a lot of Ohio State players who are going to hear their names called later this week. So we're going to talk quite a bit about that uh, coming up a little later in the show. Figured we'd start off, though, by just talking a little bit about what Ryan Day said in his most recent teleconference, because that was after we recorded the show last week. And not a whole lot of new news from him. It you know, It's kind of weird, because typically this time of year, if we were talking to Ryan Day, we'd be talking to him about actual football stuff, and actual football stuff we saw this spring. But right now, it almost feels weird or wrong to ask a football question because you just don't know what the appropriate football questions are yeah it's it's interesting too because you we obviously we you talk to ryan day and then you go back and and you write your stories and then you look back a few days a week later and it's like all right is there anything else interesting that maybe we can write about but like so much of it so much of of conversations interviews of, of of basically anything it's just it matters in the moment. It matters so much in the moment, and then things just change and they shift so quickly that even even when he talked last week, I mean, who knows? He has new information right now that that maybe could shift opinions that that he said last week. I just think things are moving so quickly that it's 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 just weird to, to even talk to them and 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 get an idea of of um, what they're thinking. Yeah, I mean that's that's a very good point, and it it's true that you know we're just in such a such a weird time right now. Things are constantly changing. We talked about this a lot last week, so we won't we won't spend too much time talking about it here because, I mean, really not a whole lot has changed in the past week since we talked about it last week. It's it's more just speculation than anything. Yep. And talking to Ryan Day, you know, we talked last week about some of what Gene Smith had said. Ryan Day's views on this, I think, are very much in lockstep with Gene Smith in terms of, you know, just like Gene Smith said, he thinks you know they need six weeks about that before the season as a baseline to ramp up to the season. I think he understands. It, I would say this from the first time we talked to him after this to when we talked to him last week. I think there was definitely more of a reality had set in with him in terms of recognizing that okay, the likelihood of the season being impacted is increasing. I think. The first time we talked to him, he was very much still in the season's still going to happen. This is just a temporary thing mode. And I think now he's more in a, a realization of, okay, you know, there's a definite chance the season, whether it's shortened, delayed, whatever it is, no fans. He, I think he understands that reality, that the season is likely to be impacted in some way. But really the quote that stood out to me because he said it verbatim multiple times was, any football is better than no football. And 
I, I know I agree with that quote that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily know that we're going to get a normal football season this fall, but I sure hope we have something. Yeah, I could, whenever he said that, I could just picture all heads uh, around Columbus just nodding in, a, in agreement at the same time. Um, but be, because, yeah, I think that's sort of where everybody is on this issue. Um, if if there's any way to play football, anybody wants to. And I do think that that's – I think Ryan Day took the, the tact that you should take as a head coach right now where, you know, it's not going to be his decision. <laughs> if Ohio State plays football or not, it's not going to be because Ryan Day wanted to or didn't want to. It's going to be out of his control, and all he can Correct. do is best prepare Ohio State. And I think that when he talks about if there's football, you know, we'll be ready, we want any kind of football, it's because, you know, that's just ha- that, that's how you have to talk right now because he knows – it's not gonna it's not gonna be his ultimate call. And you have to prepare your players like you're gonna be playing that first weekend of September because that could still happen and if you don't prepare like that, you're gonna be behind in your preparation. So Yeah, it, you, it reminds me a little of Chris Holtman uh, in the Big Ten tournament when, you know, behind the scenes he's having conversations with Gene Smith and, and all and all kinds of other people about, you know, if is this gonna happen, is it not? Like what are what are the scenarios? But to his team, he's talking about how, you know, they're going to go out and they're going to play this game and, you know, they're, they're going to prepare like normal because there's, you, at, at, at some point, you just have to, you have to treat it at least somewhat like it, like it's a normal thing. Yeah, I think if Ryan Day came out and said, I don't think we're going to have a football season this fall, and I, I think it would be a lot harder to convince his players to continue training the way they normally would on their own if they don't think there's going to be a season. So I think everyone, whether you're a coach, a player, whoever, you, you need to have that mindset like the season's going to happen when it's supposed to happen. And then, you know, if it, if it gets delayed, fine. If it gets shortened, fine. It's, it's, it's not going to hurt you to be prepared for September if, if the season ends up starting in October. You, 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 that's not going to be a problem. It's, it's, you don't want the opposite of that where you don't want to be thinking in your head, okay, there's no chance for the season's going to start on time and then the season actually does start on time. So, so, so that's the approach you have to take. And you know, like we said, there's, there's so much unknowns here. It's so hard to predict what's going to happen between now and September. But, the only thing I'm very confident in is that athletic directors, the NCAA, everyone is doing is going to do whatever it possibly can to try to have a football season start on time because college football is so, so pivotal to the economics of, I mean, not just college athletics, but universities in general. It's such a big economic driver for schools like Ohio State that if, if it's possible for them to start the season on time without creating a substantially increased risk of, of people getting sick, without you know putting players in an unnecessarily dangerous situation, they're going to find a way to make it happen. They will. What else did that Ryan Day said last week has, has sort of stuck with you and that you thought was interesting? Well, you know, I, I thought it was interesting he was asked about, I, I think the question he was asked was in context of whether he's been, you know, dreaming up creative plays for for Justin Fields, and, and his response to that was he really doesn't have as much free time as he thought he would, He, he and he, he mentioned that, you know, because they're not in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, he, he's making a lot more phone calls, you know, all, all the meetings are virtual, and that's not quite as efficient as when 
you know you're all in the offices and you can just walk down the hall and talk to somebody it's it's it, it takes a little more time to have to pick up the phone and, and call people and, and and try to you know I, I'm sure I have no idea what it's like to be a college football head coach but you know I imagine that Ryan Day is just you know calling people and calling people back and, and and doing all that kind of stuff all day long so I can understand you know why it would why it would be challenging and I and I think you know I you know I think that kind of stood out to me too because yeah I, I'm sure you could resonate with this too Colin but like you know I think a lot of like my family and friends like think I have nothing to do right now and like to me, I mean, we're, we're still producing content every day. I, I feel like I've been just as busy as, as, as normal. So I think, you know, from the outside looking in, people probably look at, you know, these football coaches and think, man, what are they doing? They're not practicing. But, you know, they still they still got preparation to do. They still got recruiting to do. Uh, they still have a lot of responsibilities on their plate, even though they can't physically go into the office. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I thought the same thing when he said it because – I think maybe initially when this happened, I would have I would have wondered the same thing about the free time. But then when you step back and think about what he really is in charge of, in terms of the entire Ohio State football program, all of the coaches, all of the players, the entire recruiting um, department right now that is sure it's thriving at the moment, but it's also it's it's probably quite a bit more difficult right now and, and time consuming to, to do everything that Ohio State needs to do in, in that in that world. Um, so it it does make sense. It's um, I think when in his answer it just seemed like it's not like he's he's exhausted or anything, but it's like yeah, like this is this has been this has been a lot. I think on, on him. Yeah, I think he would love to get back to uh, the physical workplace as so many people would. I, I think yes. he would love to uh, be back, you know, having meetings in the office, you know, having meetings in person with the team rather than having to get 100 plus people on Zoom. But, you know, they, they have to make do. They have to they have to adjust. And, you know, I mean, another thing that he mentioned, too, is that, you know, he's been on calls every week with, you know, other coaches and, and athletic directors from around the Big Ten discussing this stuff so you know those are kind of things too I mean he's he's got to now be involved in you know college football decision makers making plans for how to deal with coronavirus which isn't something that he would have thought he'd be dealing with right now right now he would have thought he'd be putting a bow on the spring and kind of uh moving into the summer so it's just a different time but when you're someone like Ryan Day you know, this this isn't a time to you know we know we we know we watch Tiger King, but uh, for the most part, you know he he's not spending days sitting on his couch watching Netflix. He's 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 still doing a lot of work. The other, uh, at least one of the other aspects of, of the teleconference that was interesting was he actually got to say the the name Trey Sermon, which the first time that that he talked to reporters on a teleconference, he wasn't able to yet because the papers weren't in, they weren't signed, um, but. I thought it was a little funny when 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 Ryan Day and and all the Ohio State coaches and players they're all trying to keep injuries under wraps in the in the past year or so. That's a some sort of a new policy that was created once Ryan Day became head coach. He let it slip that that Marcus Crowley is coming off an an ACL. He didn't say it was torn, but you know an ACL injury could. I, I presume that you know it's certainly possible that it was torn. Um, and he also referenced the the master getting hurt, and you know. It's easy to say all the right things about Trey Sermon, but it does seem like at least off the field, 
he's the kind of guy who who they want, even though they're obviously not going to see him on the field for a little bit. Yeah, he used the quote, very, very impressed with his conversations with Trey Sermon. And I think what struck me as well was what he said about how forthcoming everyone was at Oklahoma and how everyone at Oklahoma had great things to say. And, you know, I know Lincoln Riley was asked about him a couple weeks ago, and and he had really good things to say about him too. But uh, you could see, you know, this was not a – it was not an animosity situation there. You know, sometimes a guy, you know, chooses to transfer from a school and, you know, there can be hurt feelings. But you don't get that impression – uh, from everything that's been said from both sides here, it sounds like you know, kind of, kind of like with Joe Burrow a couple years ago. It kind of sounds like you know, Oklahoma understood that you know he 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 was going to look for an opportunity elsewhere. You know, maybe somewhere where he had a chance uh, to be the starter, which he wasn't going to be at Oklahoma. And you know, obviously, you know, based on what Ryan Day said, it sounds like he was talking to Lincoln Riley or or other people. On Oklahoma staff, you know, maybe Alex Grinch, because Alex Grinch worked with him for a year. Uh, there were conversations that were had, and, you know, Oklahoma told them all the right things, and, and Ryan Day liked what he heard. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, that's interesting, especially because in a few minutes we're going to talk about some of the Buckeyes' recruiting efforts, and uh, Ohio State maybe didn't play as nice with Oklahoma as Oklahoma did with them on Trey Sermon. No, no, evidently they didn't. The other, the other um, thing that he said about Sermon that I thought was at least notable is, is when he talks about how he can quote unquote do a lot of things, and he goes through everything he can do, and, and talking about how he's strong, powerful, good feet, can break tackles, can pass protect, can catch passes out of the backfield. And to me, like if 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 you are someone who thinks that you know if. If they're bringing in Trey Sermon and you also have a healthy Master Teague, you have a healthy Marcus Crowley, you have maybe Demario McCall, and you imagine, well, maybe maybe they can um, they can be they can each be more situational, and it won't be a J.K. Dobbins um, thing like it was last year, where you have a guy who is rushing for two thousand yards and, and getting basically every single meaningful carry. To me, it's not like I. I it certainly didn't change my mind. I'm not expecting Trey Sermon to, to come in and be that kind of guy, but the way he talked about him and the ability to do all types of things and the ability to, to do really everything that you'd want in a running back made me wonder about, you know, is there a chance, maybe more than I gave it credit for, that, that Trey Sermon is that guy and there really isn't a number two who's, who's getting a, as many carries as maybe I thought beforehand. I mean, it's the first time that Ryan Day has talked about it. I don't want to go overboard. I think that when when you're starved for for interviews and quotes and and for hearing hearing from coaches, maybe you, you tend to go overboard. But I did at least think that it was notable that 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 at least the way that Ryan Day was talking about it, he's he's impressed with him generally as a, as a as an all around running back. I'll be honest, my thought when he was talking about all the things he could do was, man, I nailed it in my film breakdown because those were the same things that, that I wrote about a few weeks ago that he was good at. So I was I was glad to hear that Ryan Day's uh, maybe he takeaways. He, maybe he did. I mean, uh, I would hope that he uh, – he, I mean, he, he did land the commitment before I wrote that, so I would hope that he, he, he could see that for himself. But it, it, did, I, it did feel good to know that – Ryan Day saw similar things to what I saw in, in Trey Sermon because Ryan Day does know more about football than me. I I don't deny that. So uh, yeah, I mean I thought you know that 
it all added up with what I saw. You know, I think in terms of the question of, you know, whether he'll be that, you know, feature back, every down back, I think that honestly really depends more on the other guys than it does on Trey Sermon. I, you know, I think, you know, if Master Teague is, is healthy and he's back to full speed, I don't know if he will be, but if he is, you know, I, I think he's going to have a role. You know, Marcus Crowley, again, you know, questions of health. Steel Chambers, we'll see how he develops. But, you know, I, I think I, I think if one of those guys is proven they're ready to, to, to see regular carries and play a significant role in the offense, I do think it'll be more of a by-committee approach. I, I don't rule out that Sermon could be that kind of back because I think he does have a really well-rounded skill set, but he also never was that at Oklahoma. So I would think ideally, you know, you're looking for, you know, more similar to what you had a couple years ago uh, in terms of having, you know, J.K. Dobbins, Mike Weber. I think you're looking really more for, you know, a two-back rotation with, you know, at, at least two guys splitting those snaps and not running Trey Sermon 30 times a game, but you never know. Yeah, I, I would still say that that's, that's what my prediction would be. Maybe my mind was just opened a little bit about you know that being a little bit more of a realistic possibility than than I was than I was thinking beforehand. The other thing I thought was kind of funny that he said, and this kind of segues into what we're going to talk about next. But uh, he was asked about whether he thought there should be any changes to the recruiting calendar this year <laughs> in terms of the December signing period. And and, 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 and to, to preface this real quick. He's not somebody, I would say, who goes out there and makes a lot of bold proclamations about, you know, this is my opinion on this. He he often t- he he's doing he's done that a little bit more of late, but that's not that's not something he often does. Yeah, I think he's getting a little more comfortable with that now that he is in his second year as head coach. Yeah. I think he was a little more hesitant last year, but but to your point, you're right. He's not somebody who's going out there and and you know you think of guys like Davo Sweeney or or Mike Gundy, guys who usually have an opinion about everything. Ryan Day's not one of those guys. But when he was asked about where he thought fair should the December signing period should be pushed back. He was pretty adamant that he did not think the December signing period should be pushed back. And you know why he's pretty adamant about that? Because Ohio State has 17 commitments right now for the recruiting class of 2021. Uh, Ryan Day, you you are not fooling us on that one. There is there is a reason why Ryan Day wants there to be a December signing period this year. Yes, 100%. That was my first, I was I was like laughing uh, when, when he was saying that because yeah, you know what? And he, that should be his take. When Absolutely. you have, when you when, when you're recruiting the way that Ohio State is right now, there's no reason for you to to to, to, to stick your neck out and say that kids shouldn't be able to sign in December. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because uh, you know I mean I mean the last few weeks felt slow for Ohio State ever recruiting trail. They had, after all these commitments, they didn't have any commitments for a few weeks. It's like what's going on? And then in the past week on Wednesday. One that I really don't think any of us were expecting to come this soon, but I hope I say this right. Tumiche Adelaide, I I think you said it. You said it fast, which made it sound right. Yeah, Tumiche Adelaide, I I think is how you say his name. He he's the number forty-one overall prospect for the class of twenty twenty-one. Uh, one of the top defensive ends. He committed last Wednesday. Uh, he was originally planning to wait until August, so you know he he was somebody who I certainly thought had a good chance to end up in Ohio State's recruiting class. Had somebody who had vocalized a lot of interest in Ohio State, but uh, was not expecting it when it popped up on my phone uh, on Wednesday that he 
uh, had committed to the Buckeyes, but no doubt another huge get here. Already having a commitment from Jack Sawyer, now adding Tamisha Adelaide, you've now got two of the best defensive ends in the class. And, you know, at a position where I think they needed a, a big year to kind of to kind of restock uh, for the future uh, after, of course, losing Chase Young from this past season. Yeah, it, it, I, I do think that the defensive line in, in the 2021 cycle is, is, fair, is a pretty big priority. And like you said, I mean, right now they've got Jack Sawyer, who's number three in the country. You've got, oh gosh... I don't want to say his name. I'm I'm just going to say Tumiche. Tumiche, who is number 41 in the country. And then you've also got Michael Hall, who's a top 100 prospect from Ohio, Um, which is, you know, that is, if we're sitting here in mid-April, like that is about as good as you can really hope for at this point in the year, especially when you've got your eyes on some other five-star and four-star prospects and including another uh, five-star defensive tackle whose name I also can't pronounce. JT Tuamoloau or something like that. You nailed it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, if I think if if you land, if you land Tuamoloau, who you know is considered an Ohio State lean at this point, you know from Washington. So you know the Huskies are involved in there. I think that one's still got a long way to go. But I mean, it if they could hypothetically land him in, in to, on top of Sawyer and Adelaide and Mike Hall, that would be a damn good defensive line haul. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be like one of those that it's it's basically impossible to uh, do better than. And and I do think it was important because when you think back at you know the the 2020 class, I think I just think you have a lot of guys there who I'm just I'm not a hundred percent sure where exactly they're going to end up in in terms of defensive end, defensive tackle. Maybe they're not going to be the the prime pass rushers when i when i say that i think about jacoby cowan ty hamilton darion henry young and, and all of those guys are you know i think at least two of those guys might end up at defensive tackle one one or two might slide into or at, at defensive end one or two might slide into defensive tackle but i also am not sure that any of those guys are going to be the prime time pass rushers and and that's where i think you have jack sawyer and then now potentially to um who's, who's another top 50 prospect and you know this is just an embarrassment of riches uh, that, that Ohio State has. Yeah, I think you know. I think when we talked a few weeks ago about uh, kind of how each assistant coach was doing, and we brought up Larry Johnson, and I believe I did say at that time that you know I did feel like they needed to get a couple more big time defensive linemen uh, mm-hmm. in this class, and, and this is the first step of that to get to get to Michelle on, on top of Jack Sawyer and Mike Hall. You know, you've got. You know, three you know potential stars in that group, and you know certainly I, they're not done there. You know, I think they could potentially add two more defensive linemen at this point. You know, maybe probably looking for another you know true defensive tackle. Uh, to Amolo is a guy who I think could probably play both inside or outside. But uh, yeah, and Taiwan Malone has, has been I I probably butchered that too, but he's been a name that's been thrown out there too. He's number fifty three overall prospect. He's six three, three hundred pounds. He's that potential one technique nose tackle that that Ohio State has, has done pretty well with with recently. Yeah, I mean it feels crazy to be saying, man, they could get five top one hundred defensive linemen, but man, the way that Ohio State has done with this class, it, it, it seems like anything is possible at this point. No, that I, I really do think that's the case. It, I I think it's interesting um, that uh, at least right now the Ohio State's recruiting at, at such a level that. If I were to ask you right now, like what is their 
what do you think their number one need is right now in the 2021 class? I think that's a hard question to answer, but me personally, I'm, I might go and, and look at the defensive tackle just because I do think that in general, they're fairly, the in terms of as, as thin as Ohio State can get at a position long term when you look at uh, sort of their, their scholarship grid by year, I do think that there is a little bit to be desired there, yet they already have Michael Hall and they're in the midst for the number one defensive tackle and another guy, Tywin Malone, who's, who's number 53 in the country. So right now, even even when I say like that might be, in my mind, arguably their, 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 their biggest need, they're just set up right now to do to, to finish really well. Yeah, I'd agree with that point. I think you know they do need to add at least one more defensive tackle to, to kind of bring up the numbers at that position. But off to a really good start. And like you like you mentioned, you know some of those guys in the 2020 class, we don't know exactly where they're going to end up yet. And for some of those guys, it really might depend on okay, you know where do we need the numbers? Where which positions are we stronger at with other guys? So. Uh, they're in good shape. They definitely uh, their work is definitely not done on the defensive line for this class, but they're in good shape. They are in good shape. The other guy that they got, you set it up earlier. You know, for for what thirty minutes, we thought that Jansen Dunn was going to to Oklahoma. Well, it certainly looked that way because I think it was around eight thirty on Saturday night. Jansen Dunn put out a tweet that said, "You know, some in capital letters, big news coming soon." And I believe at the same minute, Lincoln Riley tweeted out the eyes emoji, which is what he tweeted with, which what he tweets when a new commitment's coming. And he doubled down on it, too. He had a tweet about uh, no spring game today, but we got some capital letters, big news today. And it sounded like based on people who are tapped into Oklahoma that, you know, that was the expectation. He was going to commit to Oklahoma. And then within an hour, all of a sudden, those you know, those people were saying uh, he's going to Ohio State. So I think what happened there was Ohio State got on the phone with Jansen Dunn as soon as they saw he was going to be going to Oklahoma and told him, hey, we're we're ready to take you. We, we want you. Uh, we want you to commit to us. And, I mean, keep in mind that when Jansen Dunn first sent that tweet on Saturday night, he still had a picture with an Ohio State uniform in his abbey. So... Ohio State has been Jansen's done Jansen Dunn's top choice all along and you know I don't know all the you know behind the scenes stuff if you know he had been told his offer wasn't committable yet you know he was still kind of waiting for that and maybe he got sick of waiting uh, but in from the span of from Saturday night it appeared he was about to commit to Oklahoma to Monday afternoon he actually did commit to Ohio State publicly announcing that he's going to become a Buckeye. And, you know, that's just, these are the things that happen in recruiting sometimes, where sometimes things can change really, really fast. And, and in this case, it was uh, really, really fast. <laughs> it was, it was. I, I think that, um, you know, one of the interesting things about, about this, too, is that he would have committed to Oklahoma without ever taking a visit there. And I think this is one of those instances, and it might be one of the last instances, just because we're getting further and further away from from when prospects were able to visit campuses last. But but in the spring, he took a visit to Ohio State, and you know he's been on campus before in Columbus, and he had never been to Oklahoma. 
And who knows? Maybe if it was flipped, if he had been to Oklahoma and he just hadn't been to Ohio State yet, yet things would have changed. But but I do think that that goes back to, you know, this the the coronavirus uh, is is affecting all kinds of things because I just think you, you just never know what would have happened in Jansen Dunn's recruitment if he had been able to take visits right now or whether he would have actually pulled the trigger right now or whether he would have waited to, to see if he could get to Oklahoma. But since Ohio State could get him in, um, to it, it was either in February or March, and, 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 and visit campus, I do think that that, that played a role in, in the fact that, that Ohio State could close and turn him within literally an hour. And it is a good reminder that you know these things are never over until you sign on a dotted line. So... You know, Ohio State has 17 commitments right now. There's no guarantee that all 17 of those guys are going to sign. It also shows that Ohio State is not going to give up even when a player, you know, looks like they're going to commit to another school. And in this case, again, I think Ohio State had been Jansen Dunn's leader all along. I'm not sure exactly what compelled him to to commit to Oklahoma, or maybe he was trying to ratchet up the heat on Ohio State, uh, but... Either way, it worked. Either way, he 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 committed to Ohio State. Uh, they committed to him, and you know Ohio State stealing one away at the last minute from Oklahoma. And I think, you know, you you think of I know news came out you know just shortly before we started recording this podcast about Corey Foreman, uh, the ever top defensive end in this class, decommitting from Clemson, and and you know I think. There's a guy right there, but I think Ohio State, you know, they've talked to a little bit. You're gonna get on the phone with him, and you're gonna, you're gonna see why he's decommitted from Clemson, and see if he wants to become a Buckeye. And I think, you know, we, we've seen it plenty before, where the Buckeyes are able to flip guys from other schools, even from schools like Oklahoma. And I think when you're doing that to a school like Oklahoma, which has been one of the most consistently successful, I mean, you're talking one of the top four or five programs in college football over the past decade. And if you're able to flip a guy like that from Oklahoma, that just shows how high a level Ohio State is recruiting at right now. Yeah, and I was talking about a little bit ago about how defensive tackles and need, um, arguably the biggest on the team, but I think you could also make a, a strong argument that defensive back, whether it be cornerback safety or sort of a combination of both, is, is also as big of a need as any um, on the team. And I think just getting him in, now you now you have um, – You've got a situation now at uh, in, in the recruiting class where you know you're filling up on defensive backs right now. Um, they've got him. They've got uh, Jaquelin Johnson at, at cornerback. They've got Devonte Smith at cornerback. Uh, they've got Andre Turrentine, who's sort of a, a hybrid safety cornerback, who people think is going to end up at safety right now. And then Jalen Johnson, who's a hybrid linebacker safety, who you know people at the moment it seems like think might end up at linebacker. But you know at the at, at the time it, it feels like maybe they're they're one or two away. Um, and I I, I do. What, what are your thoughts on this, Dan? I, I, when I think about you know what, what they're doing in recruiting at the moment, um, I, I, I do look at the defensive backfield and say, you know, maybe, maybe they're missing a uh, – may, maybe the one thing that, that, I'm, that I'm wondering about where they can get in, in the 2022 class, because I do think that it's a little bit late in the 2021 class unless you can get Tony Grimes, is you know they don't necessarily have that five-star talent. They don't have the Sean White or Jeff Okuda coming in who's, you know, the lock first rounder in three or, in three years. 
They just don't have that right now. I think they have a really talented group of recruits, both in 2020 and 21, that you're adding. But I do, but I don't necessarily think that they have that Jeff Okuda or, or Sean Wade. And and if I were to step back and, and guess why or, or try to theorize why, I would I would I would look at the turnover among the defensive back coaches. Um, where you go from Kerry Combs to Tabor Johnson to Jeff Halfley back to back to Kerry Combs, and I do think that you know that it's tough to to go after a, a top twenty five overall prospect and, and land them when you have so much turnover at the top. But but if I do think of uh, if I if I think and I and I try and look ahead, I do wonder in the twenty twenty two class if that's something that I think is is if you're looking for an elite prospect somewhere, that's where that's where I think that uh, Ohio State could most use one. Yeah, I mean, we're nitpicking here, but you yeah, have I to. think you have I, to I, I when think, this is going to be the best class. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Jaquelin Johnson is fairly close to that. I mean, he's, you're talking mm-hmm. about yeah. the, the number four cornerback in the class, the number six overall defensive back in the class. You mentioned they're still in on Tony Grimes. If you look at the class list, there's not a whole lot of other guys that are in in that group that you're talking about. I mean, you got two other five star cornerbacks. Uh, Quincy McKinstry and Jason Marshall. I don't really think Ohio State's been in on either of those guys, but there's only you know there's only so many of those guys that Jeff Okuda's was both shot ways. But but we also know what what they what what they can do for a program. Yes, and, and, no, and, and what I'm, they do for a program is just it's just different. I mean, you saw that with with the defensive end version of that and Chase Young. Yeah, no, and I'm I'm not disputing that you always want to be going for those kind of guys, but. You know, you, you also think of guys like Denzel Ward and, and Marshawn Lattimore, who turned out to be pretty good, and Jaquelin Johnson is ranked higher than those guys. So I, I, I don't think they're exactly hurting here with the guys that they've they've landed. I mean, certainly, well, you know, so- Tony Grimes being a top 10 overall crew, that's a guy that they're going to continue working on as long as they still have any chance to get him. And and if he, no matter who, who else joins the defensive back class, you know, Tony Grimes is one of those guys uh, you're going to make a spot for him if he decides he wants to be a Buckeye. So uh, they're still in on that. I don't I don't think they're a favorite for Tony Grimes at this point. But, you know, I think the group that they've got lined up is, is pretty good. I don't think it's done yet. I think they're still going to be looking to bring in probably one more defensive back. But I think the group that they have is pretty solid. And, and Kerry Gomes right now, ranked number two in the national recruiter rankings behind only Tony Alford. So he's doing pretty well. Listen, I don't want to get it misconstrued. It's not that I think that this group is bad. This group is really good. I'm just saying if we're going to have to nitpick, if we're going to have to see how does Ohio State become win a national championship, how do they? How, how are they going to be the best defensive backfield in the country? I say that thinking that, you know, it's important to have one of these, you know, top 10 top 15 top 20 overall guys sure you it's not it's not necessary you don't have to have it you can get to that level without it and i think that Kerry combs being the being the developer of talent that he is he's gonna make do with with what he has and what he has is a a really strong defensive back group i just do wonder I, i think of i think about the 2017 class and and what that had in the defensive backfield with with both Sean Wade and Jeff Okuda, and I and I wonder, you know, when is when is their next Jeff, Jeff Okuda or Sean Wade gonna gonna come to Ohio State in terms of that five star top twenty overall talent? 
and I and I and unless it's Grimes, obviously it probably wouldn't be in the twenty one class. They're gonna be just fine, but but I, but personally, I am interested in that because as we've seen, like those guys are the kind of guys who who can lead a lead a national championship program, a college football playoff program. Yeah, no, I mean I get what you're saying. I mean just just looking back, just for context, I look back at at twenty thirteen. Eli Apple was fifty second overall, seventh cornerback in the country. In in two thousand fourteen, Marshawn Lattimore was fifty fifth overall, sixth in the country. So Jaquelin Johnson's yeah, like right at that level with those guys. I mean, you, Jeff Okuda is like. I mean, you're talking about one of the best, one of the highest ranked recruit. He might be the highest ranked cornerback recruit Ohio State has ever had. So there's just very very few of those guys. Is the point I'm trying to make. Yes, there are very few. Ohio State's composite score for the class of 2021 now is 294.67. To put that into context, that's only 0.41 points away from its class ranking last year. This class would already have ranked fifth in the entire country last year. And there's still time for several more big commitments. So... When when we start talking about could this be the best recruiting class we've ever seen, it's really not hyperbole. It's really not a, a stretch to say that at all. That Ohio State has moved firmly into the vicinity that it could land the highest ranked recruiting class ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can we can absolutely have that conversation, and and they're 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 inching closer. I know Silver Sniper asked a con. He asked a question to us, which is, "Call your shot. Does Ohio State's 2020 recruiting class break the all-time 247 composite score?" And I know me personally, like my answer is just yes right now. I, I just think they're just recruiting at such a ridiculous pace right now that I feel like. I feel like I feel pretty confident that they will. Yeah, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I agree because I mean, again, you look at some of the guys that they're in on. You know, JT Tuamolowau, he's ranked second in the country. You have J.C. Latham, who's ranked 36th in the country. And there's quite a few other guys. I mean, we I'm look kind of looking through the list right now. You well, J.C. Latham's interesting because he's number three overall in 247's own rankings. Like he's a guy who could even potentially move up. He could. He could. And there's a lot of guys that they're, you know, the nice thing about being in the position that Ohio State is in right now is that they can shoot for the stars because they've already met just about all of their major needs for the class of 2021. So they don't have to settle for anybody. They can just shoot for the stars and shoot for the best guys out there because they've already built such a strong foundation for this class. That you know you're not going to be looking for okay who's the 600 ranked guy that we need to add to our class you're going to be looking for okay who's this five star of his high ranked four star if it's still out there that we can get to make this class even stronger so I think when you talk about that all time record uh, that was actually set by Florida back when Urban Meyer was at Florida in 2010 at 324.62. I would be lying to you if I told you I understand how these calculations work, but I do think that you know there's a very real chance with the class that they've put together right now that they could end up breaking that all-time record. I mean, if they're going to add eight guys to this class and 
one or two might be five stars, three or four, or two or three or four might be top 100 guys. I like you. I don't know the math behind it exactly. I haven't gone and, and you know, two four seven is a cool class calculator where you can actually input names and, and figure it out yourself whether a class would um, would be number one. But I I would feel pretty confident that if they can land the guys that they're in on right now, or at least enough of them, that that they would they would secure that spot. Yeah, and it may not necessarily be a full twenty five. They've got seventeen seniors right now for next year so uh depending on how they think the numbers will work out you know it, it could be you know 22 or something like that it might yeah, i've seen be 23 25. 24 25 all thrown out yeah so you know there's a lot of variables of this you've got to keep the guy you've got to sign the guys you have committed there's a lot that has to go right if you're going to have the best all-time recruiting class ever and truthfully it's a fun debate. It doesn't really matter if they, if they yeah. break the record for the all-time recruiting class score. Uh, the, the point is, this is going to be one of the best recruiting classes ever. I, I think it. I, I'm very confident it will be Ohio State's highest-ranked recruiting class ever. And uh, I, I think unless a, a ton of things happen, I mean, you look at Clemson just losing their top-ranked commit. Uh, Ohio State has such an enormous lead for the number one class this year that I-, I would be stunned if they didn't finish with the number one class in this year's class. Yeah, I'll make one more point going off of the, like you you referenced Corey Foreman, the number one overall recruit decommitting from, from Clemson on Tuesday. And, and, you know, at least one of the reasons cited was distance. And I, and I think it's interesting if you look around Ohio State's class, and you think like, are, are are any of these guys since the coronavirus is hap- is that the pandemic is, is happening right now where um, people aren't able to, to visit colleges and, and who knows what that'll look like the entire rest of the year? Is Ohio State really going to be in a position where maybe there's a guy from across the country who can't visit? Um, what would what would be his deal? And you just look down the list and you know, Tumiche Tumiche he's playing IMG right now. Uh, well, he just committed, so evidently he feels just fine about his commitment. Donovan Jackson, he has Ohio ties. He's from Texas, but I don't, I don't really imagine that um, that he's someone who they're going to have to worry about. They have such a strong Ohio presence in, in the class that obviously you're not going to be be too concerned about them. Um, guys like Evan Pryor and 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 um, Travion Henderson, it just seems like they have an they have a really strong idea of, of what they want in a school and, and why Ohio State is is that program for them. I just I, I think that I think that they'll be fine. I'm just looking I'm looking around. They don't have a strong Arizona or California presence or something or something like that. I mean the the only West Coast guy really that they have uh, who, who's 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 farther out there is Sam Hart from from Colorado. Um, I think in I think in past classes you would have looked and, and you've seen maybe a little bit more West Coast presence, but I do wonder if there being more Midwest guys in, in this class. Um, actually maybe helps them in, in terms of the fact that you can't really do visits right now and, and, and recruiting has changed a little bit. Yeah, and there's still so many unknowns here in terms of, you know, this is such an unprecedented situation that I think everybody has to be on guard a little bit for, you know, things, things that could change. You know, maybe, you know, because there's no visits right now, I think there's certainly the potential for when visits ramp back up for you know more movement late in the cycle than we've seen in the past so i I think if you're ohio state 
you, especially if as many commits as you have, you have to be on guard with that. You have to make sure you're having constant communication with these guys and uh, answering any questions that they might have. But there just seems to be such a strong bond that this class is building. It just seems like, oh, since Jack Sawyer committed over a year ago, it just seems like this class has just continued to build so much momentum, and it just seems like everybody in this class is just so excited about this prospect of being part of one of the best recruiting classes ever. And I think it's just stacked up and stacked up and stacked up, and I think the excitement that the guys in this class have just keeps getting higher and keep getting higher. And You know, this is one of those classes we're going to be talking about, okay, in 2023, we're going to be talking about Ohio State needs to go win the national championship this year because of this class they brought in, just like we were talking about this past season with the 2017 class. So this is a class that's going to come to Ohio State with enormous expectations, and they've got the talent to, to do just about anything that they want if it all comes together. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the classes that if they can get the guys that they that they want to finish it out, that, you know, in 2023, like you just said, we'll be saying, well, can the 2024 class reach the 2021 class? Like, this is one of those, this is one of those that at the moment, it feels like we're on pace for to, to, to have one of the classes that will sit back and think, like, can Ohio State be back to this can they can they have one of these types of classes again and you know you just got to appreciate what they're doing right now because it doesn't happen it doesn't happen all the time and it shouldn't happen every four years where you have a class this good but ohio state you know they go from urban meyer who's who i think is pretty widely regarded as the best recruiter in ohio state history and all of a sudden ryan day might one-up him in his in his second full recruiting class ohio state undeniably has a lot of momentum on the recruiting trail right now and I think they're going to get another nice boost on Thursday night because you're going to have recruits all over the country watching the NFL draft and there's a very real chance that the top three players off the board are going to be players who are recruited by Ohio State. Now the projected number one overall pick of course Joe Burrow he did not finish his career at Ohio State. It's going to be LSU who, whose name is called when he is selected in the NFL draft. But right behind him, you've got Chase Young, who I think everybody expects to be the number two overall pick. I would be shocked if he isn't. And then Jeff Okuda uh, is right there. Still, I think, the favorite to be the number three overall pick. That one maybe not quite as much of a lock as Burrow and, and Chase at the top of a draft, but it's going to be a big night. I guarantee you that Ohio State already has tons of graphics ready to pump out on Thursday night to tout another great year for the Buckeyes in the NFL draft. Yeah, it's they're 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 gonna do just fine. Just like they typically do every year, but somehow, like like in their twenty twenty one recruiting class, somehow the twenty twenty draft is they're they they've again taken it to a new level. Just to put some of the numbers in context, Ohio State is going I'm feel safe saying this is going to happen. Ohio State is going to become the first school to have three consec- or top five picks, because you could have two of them. It may be the first school to have top five NFL draft picks on defense in three consecutive years. They had Denzel Ward in 2018. They had Nick Bosa last year. And now you could have two of them in Chase Young and Jeff Okuda. In the process, Ohio State is also going to take the lead for the most first-round picks all time. They're currently tied at 81 with USC. 
possible that USC could have a first-round pick or two this year. They've got a couple guys, Austin Jackson, Michael Pittman Jr., who are kind of on that late first round to second round bubble. But we know at least at the top of a draft, Ohio State is going to take that lead, and and that's something they're going to be able to to tout. And uh, you know, such such a great history that Ohio State has in the NFL draft, especially in in recent years. And, and this is going to be another big year for the Buckeyes. Certainly at the top of a draft, the rest of the first round could be quieter for the Buckeyes. I think there's a couple guys, J.K. Dobbins, Damon Arnett, who are possible first-round picks. But my guess is I think the top of the first round is going to be very big on the Buckeyes, and then day two is going to be a very busy day for the Buckeyes. If you were starting a, an NFL franchise right now from scratch, you're an expansion team, and you have the number two pick, and you have to pick either Jeff Okuda or Chase Young, who do you take? I'm taking Chase Young because I, I just think it, it's a really good question, and it, it's not as much of a no-brainer as I make it sound there, but Chase Young to me is just such a spectacular prospect. He's such a sure thing, in my opinion, of of a guy who I think is going to be a superstar defensive end for many years to come. And, and I don't think you can go wrong with five or one of these guys. But I just think Chase Young, I mean, we saw it. You think back to the Wisconsin game. You think back to Penn State game. You just think back to some of his big games at Ohio State. He makes such a big impact when, when he is on his A game. He, he can just wreak absolute havoc. And... You know, I think sometimes at Ohio State, you know, especially we saw late this past year, you know, teams are double teaming, triple team blocking him to try to take him out of a game. But that's hard to do in the NFL because you've you've got so much talent out there. But if you're if you're double teaming, triple teaming somebody, other guys are going to beat you. So I I just think he he makes such a big impact for every single play that that he's my guy. I think. Oh, Okuda's right there because because he's one of those guys. I think he is going to be a shutdown corner in the NFL. I think he is going to be able to take away one side of a field. But just in terms of making that that play to play impact, uh, in terms of what he can do at the line of scrimmage, uh, Chase Young would be the guy for me. I think if you look back at, at the drafts and you think like, you know, Nick Bosa. I think we are both like, well, yeah, obviously he's going to be an absolute stud in the NFL. But even if you think back to like an Eli Apple who's a top 10 pick, even Denzel Ward who's the number four pick, I do think there were questions maybe about what they would become in in the NFL. Um, And obviously Denzel turned out just fine and and Eli's Eli's had his struggles. Are, 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 Are Jeff Okuda and Chase Young both on that Nick Bosa level, that Joey Bosa, that Ezekiel Elliott level, that like you're basically a hundred percent sure that these guys are going to be studs. They are, in my opinion. I, I mean, yeah, I, they, they I, are. They, I, I agree with that. They're, yeah, they're, I mean, I, they're they're nuts. <laughs> I think you know, you know, you you take quarterbacks out of the equation because quarterbacks are really never a safe pick. I, I yep. think. I think they're the two safest picks in the draft. I think they're the two surest things in the draft. And uh, maybe that sounds biased, but I really don't think it is. I think they're both that level of player. I mean, I, it, you know, I, I try to guard against recency bias, but I really do. As good as Denzel Ward is, as good as Marshawn Lattimore is, I think Okuda is the best of all these cornerback prospects that have come out of Ohio State in the Kerry Combs era. 
And, and, and I, I really do think he's going to be one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL in a couple of years. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I thought it was interesting how his sort of draft stock um, rose. And, and, you know, it, it takes me back to the, 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 the Rose Bowl his sophomore year um, where I just thought he was absolutely outstanding. I think even if you go back, like his teams just didn't throw to him this past year. Washington really went at him for God knows whatever reason, and it did not work, and he was absolutely spectacular. But I still remember the the preseason leading into the twenty twenty the or sorry the twenty nineteen season. I was sort of uh, you know you 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 see him all, all of a sudden appear and like be a top ten top fifteen pick in, in the NFL draft and, and and mock drafts, and you're like, well, are people just having just watched this this Washington game and and maybe they their maybe their thoughts about what he can become are, are a little bit ballooned just because this is the one recent game that was on national television that you saw him and and I was a big Okuda believer but even I was wondering that and he comes out this year and like do you even remember more than one play that he had this year? No, I mean it it was just, it was really just. Yeah, you know, teams just didn't so, it. Teams didn't yeah, even I mean, attack him. They didn't even try. And that's that's really what it usually is with an elite corner. Is it's yep. it's not about making highlight real spectacular plays. It's just about shutting your other guy down. And I think uh, week after week, that's by and large what Jeff Okuda did. Yep, I agree with that. I think it's. Um, I think J.K. Dobbins and Damon Arnett, like you said, or I think it's certainly possible they slide into the first round. Damon Arnett's a fascinating one. At least, at least when we talk about J.K. Dobbins, we we had a past history of him looking like a potential first-round pick, especially as a freshman at Ohio State. But Damon Arnett's a guy who fans were just just angry about for about two straight years, maybe even more than that. And then he comes back into this year, and I mean, I I, I understand why he's why he's maybe viewed a little bit lower um, and. and in terms of a, in terms of his draft stock, and maybe he's a second round, or maybe even a late second rounder. Who knows? Maybe he could slide to the third. But in terms of what he did in 2019, I think he really could have made a case that he should have been, um, uh, he should have been a Jim Thorpe Award finalist. And I think that might sound crazy to people, but I just think that he was, he, I think he was unbelievable this past year. And I don't necessarily think that he got enough credit just because he took such a remarkable leap. Going from what he did as a as a redshirt sophomore and junior to to what he did as a fifth year senior, that all of a sudden, you know, the fact that he's even being floated out as a possible first round pick is is it sort of wild when you just think about what what people thought about him at, at this point a year ago. And and I I think whether it's late Thursday night or early uh, in the night on Friday, I think Chris Carter is going to be getting a big thank you call from Damon Arnett because I think Damon Arnett's decision to to come back for one more year at Ohio State made him a lot of money because yes, he he would not have been in this conversation last year. You know, we would have been talking about him as a day free draft pick. He he would have been a later round pick, and and who knows? I mean, he he I don't think he was ready to play in the NFL a year ago, and who knows? You know, maybe he would have flamed out quickly, and he, and he wouldn't have had the kind of career he was capable of because he just wasn't ready. And I think coming back for another year, learning from Jeff Halfley really taking his game to that next level. Now he's ready to go play in the NFL. Now he's a guy that you can absolutely look at and say, this is a starting cornerback 
in the the NFL, and and I don't think he's I don't think he's quite for sure thing that Okuda is. I, I think I think with Arnett, I think there's yes. there's more questions whether it's his inconsistency earlier in his career. Uh, he's not quite the athlete that Okuda is in terms of his speed. So I. I you know, I don't, I don't view him as a number one dominant corner in the NFL. I think he's probably a second corner in the NFL, but I, I do think he can be a starter. I think he had a fantastic year last year, and I, I, I mean, I think he does belong in that conversation. You know, when you look at the corners in this draft, I think everybody agrees Okuda's the top guy, C.J. Henderson from Florida's the second guy. After that, I think the opinions vary wildly, and, and I think there could be a team out there that has Damon Arnett as the third corner on their board. Do I do I think he's going to be the third corner drafted? I don't I don't think he's gonna quite go that high, but I, I, I do think that you know he's right in that conversation with the second tier of corners. And I think probably by the middle of the second round, I think he's probably gonna be off the board. Yeah, I wish I jumped on the Damon Arnett for Jim Thorpe Award train earlier because as it came out of my mouth, I realized, you know, I actually really do believe this, even though it sounds crazy probably to ninety five percent of the people, but I just think he was that good. But, like you said, there's, there, there is a separation between what you do as a redshirt senior in college versus where you are in terms of your draft stock. And I do think when you look at him as he's an older prospect who was not this guy, he was, he was not this productive earlier in his career, and it took him a long time to get there. He's not just, you, you, when you look at Jeff Okuda, you're like, well, he was clearly created in a lab to play cornerback. <laughs> Because no one should look like this and play and, and be the type of player he is. It's crazy. And and you know Damon has Damon is very physically gifted, but he he's not quite that level of, of athlete and, and that kind of specimen that that Jeff Okuda is. So there's there there's there's absolutely reason in my mind that you know it makes sense for him to slide a little bit. That said, you know I could see his career going in a number of directions. I could see him being much much better than people think, just because I think people underrate a little bit what he did in 2019 based on his past seasons. But at the same time, you also have to think you know this is a guy who's you know he struggled for a good amount of his career, and if he goes into the NFL and um, could you could you see some of those struggles uh, pop up again? I, I certainly think you could, just because you you've seen it before. Um, so I don't think he's he's the sure thing like Okuda. And there's very few sure things in the NFL draft. You know, to me, yes. I think you know, like I said, I mean, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, I'll be shocked if they're not stars of the next level. J.K. Dobbins, I'll be shocked if he's not a productive NFL back. I'm not going to say he's yep, going to be a too. star, but I'll be shocked if he doesn't have a productive career because I think he's a very good back. I think after that, you. you it's it, it becomes much harder to say, and we just try to project the the best we can. But you know, Damon Arnett is is right there. I think you know probably a second rounder, and then you've got a few other guys who could end up in that second round. And you know, I, I was thinking about if Arnett, you know, it's tempting to say, man, I mean, this guy might have improved his draft stock more than anyone else this past year. But then you look at Devon Hamilton, who's a guy who I don't think anyone was really talking about as an NFL draft prospect at this time a year ago, and now. You know, I've heard he could go in the second round, which, which again, would have seemed unfathomable a year ago, but that's the kind of position he's put himself in, and he's a guy that I look at more of, you know, I'm pretty confident he's going to be a solid player in the NFL. I, I don't think he's ever going to be a star in the NFL, but I, I feel pretty confident that Devon Hamilton's a guy that can go in the NFL and, and have a pretty good career as a rotational defensive tackle. Well, as anyone who's listened to this podcast before knows... I, I own some property on Devon Hamilton Island. You were so. you were one of a you were a very early adopter on the D- D- 
Devon Hamilton train. So I do give you credit for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm still riding that. Same with Jonah Jackson. I just think that when I look at like a potential second, third, fourth round pick, I just I, I just have to like the value of those two guys. I just I think that Devon. It, once you get into the second round, it's like okay. I, I do think I'm not taking Devon Hamilton in the first round. I think Devon Hamilton is a really good player. I'm still not taking him in the first round. Second round, you know, I, I would probably take him. But I, I just think if you're going to take Devon Hamilton in the third round or even the fourth, if he's there in the fourth round, that's going to be crazy. But I, I think in the third round, that is exactly where I would take him. I would feel very good about taking him just because he is he is so, so big and powerful um, that – I think just that's the number one part about him that's impressive. But second, secondary, I, I, I secondly, I, I still remember talking to him. I think it was maybe before the season, and and he had talked about just the the physical transformation that he had. And I said, all right, can you give me you know a number like a a, a metric that you've used that that maybe is different right now than it was before? I still remember he said that he he used to run like a five four forty. And then he ran a five-one, and just that that one off season, um, the physical transformation that 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 he had sort of did him wonders. And and I think you sort of you, you saw that on the field. He was just dominant throughout the season. I was really impressed with him. And then Jonah Jackson, uh, I mean, I'll say it again. I said it a thousand times. Is I I, I think that Jonah Jackson, uh, I think I think he had an All American type of year. I I think he was. I think he was tremendous um, on a really good line, and I think that he was better than Wyatt Davis um, throughout the first uh, the first half of the season. And then I think Wyatt Davis really got rolling and was and was um, pretty awesome. But um, I think I, I just I just like the value of those guys in, as mid round picks. Yeah, I agree with you on both of those guys. I think Jonah's a guy who's definitely got a chance to be a starting guard in the NFL, and I think is a guy that. You know, probably could be a starter pretty quickly. So, you know, I I think probably third or fourth round is where where Jonah's going to go. You know, Devon, based on what I've been hearing on him, I I'd be surprised if he's there in a fourth. I, I think he's going to go second or third. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I think Malik Harrison's another guy who's in that second to third range, if, from what I've heard. I think probably a late second round, early third round kind of guy. Uh, for Malik, he seems to be a guy. You know, ba- basically every mock draft I've seen has had him in that range. So I think he's pretty solidly in in that middle of day two range as a guy who's got a chance to be a starting linebacker in the NFL. Yeah, he's he's an interesting case. Um, I think he was really underrated for a good amount of his career, and I still think he's even. I think he's even still a little bit just. Under just just not talked about as much as, as some other guys when he's when he's a potential second round linebacker and I just feel like there's been no Malik Harrison conversations in the past two years yet he's been a really productive linebacker for Ohio State. Um, <clears throat> me personally, if I was ranking the the draft picks and 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 ranking you know guys who I personally would have confidence drafting, for me he'd be below Jonah Jackson and Devon Hamilton just because I. I just I really like those two, and, and I feel like that they have higher ceilings than some people realize, and they're also just sure things. I think Malik Harrison's athleticism is great. I think he's super powerful, especially at the point of attack. I do wonder at times if if maybe we overlooked. Um, he's a, he's a little bit. Sometimes it, it just felt like, and and maybe I just have this Clemson play in my head with it with Etn, but sometimes. He's not the greatest tackler in the world in terms of just being able to bring 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 down anybody at any time. I think that some people are, are, are better at, at that than him. But 
you know, he's also really intriguing just because when you have that kind of athleticism at that kind of size and, and you're that powerful, that explosive, that's that's an impressive being. Yeah, I don't think he's a sure thing. I, I think his tackling certainly could get more consistent. You know, I think teams still might have some questions about uh, just how he plays in coverage uh, and how that will translate to the NFL. But, you know, I think the thing that, you know, you like about Malik is that he's a guy – you know, with his size, he could potentially play in the middle, and with his athleticism, he could potentially play on the outside. So I think he's a versatile guy. I think regardless of what scheme you run, there's a fit for him, whether that's, you know, inside in a 3-4, one of the outside spots in a 4-3. I think he's a guy who's got some scheme versatility and appeal to every team. You know, I don't know that, you know, he's going to be a superstar linebacker in the NFL, but I think he's a guy that, you know, you can look at, you know, as a, as a solid starter or, you know, you know playing a lot in a rotation is going to bring some special teams value to you as well. So I, I think he's a guy, you know, especially, you know, early third round, if he's still on the board, uh, he's a guy I'd feel pretty good about, about taking and, and adding to my defense. If you were to rank him and, and Devon Hamilton and Jonah Jackson just from a blank slate, if, if you take positional need out of it, who, who do you feel best about um, from one to three? Man, that's tough. I mean, for me, for me, I, I'm I'm probably taking Jonah number one. I think I think Jonah, I, I really have a lot of confidence in him. You know, coming in as a starting guard in the NFL, I really think he can be a rock solid player. I think he maybe has you know the lowest quote unquote ceiling of these guys, but you know he's also just playing a position where you know just being consistent is the most important thing and, and you know we saw the mean streak the nastiness that he has uh at, at ohio state he's not going to be afraid of anybody in the nfl so i would probably rank him number one just in terms of you know what i think he'll be in the nfl and then i'll probably i'd probably say malik harrison number two i think he's got the most upside out of those guys uh you know in terms of being a, a difference maker at the next level and, and then i'd put devon hamilton number three just because i i think his ceiling uh, is a little lower. I, I, you know, I, I don't see Devon being a, a star in the NFL, but I do think he's going to be a really solid rotational player and a guy, a guy that I, you know, would feel really good. You know, if I need a defensive tackle, you know, in the third round, I would feel really good about taking him. What are your thoughts on KJ Hill NFL prospect? Because we know how like good K- he was and, and how productive he was at, at Ohio State. NFL is a little bit different for him, and it's interesting to just to think about and see how he might translate. Yeah, I, I like KJ Hill. I think I think you know what you're getting in KJ. I think you know you're, you're again the ceiling is limited here. He he doesn't have the great size, the great speed, and that's why we're talking about probably a late third or a fourth round pick, and not an early round pick, even with all his production at Ohio State. But I think he's a guy, you see a lot of guys like him. You see guys like him every year who are really productive in college, and they don't go until the middle rounds of a draft because their upside is considered to be limited. But then they go into the NFL, and they end up being you know, worth more than they were picked just because they stick around for 10 years, and they're really consistent, really solid players. I, I don't think he's going to be the number one receiver of a number two receiver in an NFL offense, but I think he's a guy at that slot receiver position that I think can be a, a really reliable intermediate target. I think a guy who's going to be able to step in and play right away. He's, you know, he's, he has such consistent hands, really good route runner. You know, I think he's a guy, 
you know, teams are going to look at and say, okay, you know, he's he's been coached by an NFL receiver and Brian Hartline. He's been so consistently productive at Ohio State that you feel good about if you're drafting him in the third or fourth round. You feel good about the player you're getting. I don't, I don't see him being a guy who's going to have a thousand receiving yards in a year in the NFL. But I think he's a guy who, to be a role player in an offense, to be a, a reliable you know, secondary or third option in the receiving core, I, I think could go on to have a, a long and successful NFL career. How about the late round guys, the, un, the potential undrafted free agents? There's there's quite a few in the middle round and late round picks for, for Ohio State this year. Is there any any of them who stand out? I, I, I'm not sure if any of these guys who we're going to talk about, or I'll just name them real quick, Jordan Fuller, Ben Victor, Austin Mack, Brandon Bowen, Rashad Berry, Robert Landers, Jay Sean Cornell, and Liam McCullough. I'm not sure that any are going to go higher than maybe the fifth or sixth round, and and I think a, a good good amount of those guys will probably go unpicked. But are there any of those who stand out as you know you you like this guy's chances in the NFL? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I I think you know Jordan Fuller is a guy who you know he doesn't have great speed for an NFL defensive back. I don't think he's going to be a star at the next level. But as a late-round guy, he's a guy I'd feel good about taking because he, you know, you're talking about a three-year starter at Ohio State, a two-time captain, uh, a guy who played a lot of special teams, which, again, if you're a late-round guy, you you got to be able to play special teams. If you, don't, if you get picked in the sixth round, if you don't contribute on special teams, you're not going to make the roster. But I think Jordan Fuller is a guy I'd feel confident, okay, he's going to be able to do that. He's a really smart guy. So he's a guy who I'm confident is going to be able to come in and pick up an NFL defense quickly. And so I'm going to feel good about him as a guy who can provide depth on the back end of the secondary and to also be able to contribute on special teams, which is what you're looking for in, in a backup safety. And then, you know, Brandon Bowen's a guy to me that I think you know, there's certainly some injury questions there. He didn't get to have his pro day, and, and for that reason, I think he's probably going to end up going undrafted. But personally, I, I he's a guy I would strongly consider taking with a late-round flyer because I thought he had a really good year this past year. We've seen him play both tackle and guard, which that versatility is really important in the NFL because you typically only keep eight or nine offensive linemen on a roster. So having a guy who could potentially play three or four positions helps a guy a lot. So he's a guy that I, I, I think, you know, as a backup offensive lineman in the NFL, he's a guy that I'd look at as a late round or, you know, maybe even undrafted guy who could end up being a steal who, you know, you develop him right. You know, he's got some potential. And I think it, at worst, as long as he can stay healthy, which he did last year, I think he can be a really solid backup. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're, we're in major agreement on, on Brandon Bowen. I just think that he's, 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 he's the kind of guy who I think could legitimately even be a, a fine starter in the NFL. I'm not, I don't think he would go to any Pro Bowls, but I think he can absolutely be a fine starter if a team needs him to be. The obvious red flag there is, is the health, just because we've, we know what he's gone through in his career at Ohio State. And if you're an NFL team, you want all the information that you can, uh, even, even on a late round pick, and you're just not going to get that this year. Um, so I, I do think that there's a chance that 
there's a chance for a team to take a risk on him and be rewarded. I mean, I, I even think about like a like Jamarco Jones right now. Why why can he not have a Jamarco Jones uh, career? Um, and and you know, the only reason I think that he wouldn't be selected around where, where Jamarco was, which if I remember correctly, it was, was he a fifth rounder? He was. He was a fifth round pick. I, I I just think that if Brandon Bowen was healthy, or if he got medicals to teams and and teams thought that they were solid, I I, I would see no reason why he he wouldn't as a player be valued right around there. And to get him potentially undrafted, I think that that'll be. I I I I think he'll go undrafted, and for whichever team that can pick him up, I think it'll be a really smart move, and I think that he could could potentially make a career out of it in the NFL. And and he's a guy who I'm. Who I'm really interested to see, and you know, it's 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 interesting to to me too because I mean, he's the kind of guy too who you know he's got a kid, he's got a wife right now. I mean, this is <laughs> the these few months right now are just so 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 important to him right now, and and I'm interested to see how he how his career gets going. Yeah, I think it's tough for for all those guys who didn't get to go to the combine. I mm-hmm. I, I think the way things turned out really does hurt their chances of being drafted just because they didn't get to go through a workout for teams. They didn't get to put up numbers for, you know, you look at a guy like a Rashad Berry. He's a guy who really could have benefited from a pro day because I think, you know, he's a guy with a lot of athleticism, but he could have potentially, you know, had a really good pro day and that could have been what he needed to put himself on the radar of an NFL team, whereas he doesn't have a ton of film. You know, he doesn't. He didn't. He didn't have a lot of catches at Ohio State. So, you know, he, I think he's a guy you look at. That's a guy who a pro day really could have made the difference between being drafted or not. And so, I think you know guys like that. I, I think their chances of being drafted are hurt. But a, I think the important thing to remember here is when when you look at the draft. You know, people don't necessarily realize this, but when you get to like that fifth round on, the difference between a fifth round pick and an undrafted free agent really isn't that big. And I think this is probably a year more than ever because of the way the draft process was affected, where you could see more undrafted free agents than ever making NFL rosters. And adversely, you could see more late round picks than ever getting cut because. I, I, th- I think those late rounds, it's just going to be harder for teams to make those picks this year because they didn't they didn't get to go through a full draft process. Because those early round guys we're talking about, you know, those guys teams teams know enough about those guys. They they weren't relying on a pro day for any of those guys. But it's those late round guys where you're looking for every piece of data to decide whether you draft a guy or not. So, you know, I. I think you know those guys who didn't get to go to the combine are hurt, but I certainly don't rule out any of them getting picked. And then, you know, two guys who did go to the combine, Ben Victor and Austin Mack, I think they're right on that bubble as well. You know, those are guys. You know, they could go in the seventh round or they could go undrafted. I think those are guys that are kind of right on that bubble as well, but. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, where those guys end up because those are both guys that I think could be, you know, could be successful NFL receivers if they end up in the right spot. But I think both of them are far from sure things. If you had to pick one of them, who do you, who do you feel more confident about, um, and and who would you take if you were an NFL team, either Ben Victor or Austin Mack? 
I would take Victor because I think the upside's a little higher with Victor. I think, you know, we saw some of the big spectacular plays that he made at, at Ohio State. I think if you're talking about a sixth or seventh round pick, this is where you're really looking to maybe find a diamond in the rough. That's why I'm taking Victor. I think I think Victor's upside to potentially develop into a you know surprise game changer at the next level, I think, is higher. I I think there's two different approaches to this question though, because I think if you're gonna say which guy I think you know might be the safer bet to make an NFL roster and stick around. I might go with Austin Mack because I think Austin Mack's a better special teams player, and I think that's such a crucial part of being a late-round pick and making a team as a backup receiver that I wouldn't be surprised if Austin Mack makes a roster and Ben Victor doesn't. But I still, Victor might still be the one that I would draft just because I think there's a little more upside there, uh, more unique traits that you know I might get something that you know i might get a player that could end up being that you know hidden gem whereas austin mack i could see him being a solid nfl receiver but didn't really see anything at ohio state that makes me think you know this is a guy who's going to be a future starter of the league yeah i'm disappointed because i wanted you to pick austin mack because i think (laughs) austin mack's probably the answer that more people would pick but i would also say ben victor for for just this sort of the same reasons that you did i just i think that there is an nfl receiver in there somewhere i also think that we didn't really see it come out that often at ohio state especially even even this past year so i wouldn't really necessarily feel confident drafting either of those guys i probably wouldn't draft either of those guys if i'm being totally honest um uh, but i do think that that ben victor could be a legitimate NFL receiver, um, just because in the flashes that we've seen him impress, I, I I think if you can somehow figure out a way as an NFL team to, to get those to become more consistent, which is something we've said for four years, then you've really got something there. But um, they're both pretty high-risk picks. Ohio State had nine draft picks last year. I think that's right where I would set the over-under this year, because we talked about it. Chase Young... Jeff Okuda, J.K. Dobbins, Damon Arnett, Malik Harrison, Devon Hamilton, Jonah Jackson, K.J. Hill. All eight of those guys are going to be drafted, no doubt about it. I think Jordan Fuller will be drafted. I think it'll be in the late rounds, but I would say of the other guys, he's the one I would be most confident in being drafted because I think you know somebody will take him in the late rounds. Everyone else, I think, is pretty much a wild card, but... I'll say that one of the others gets picked. So I'll pick over. I'm going to say Ohio State will have 10 draft picks. Uh, forced to pick one, uh, I'll say Benjamin Victor. I'll say I'll say somebody takes a chance on Ben Victor in the seventh round. That's reasonable. Uh, to just play the contrarian card, I'll say under. I think that uh, I'll go with eight picks um, and that I think a lot of people will view would view Jordan Fuller as a snub there just given how productive he was at Ohio State. But I do think that he maybe doesn't have the, the athletic traits and the playmaking traits that, that certain teams look for um, in a safety. That said, like like you were talking about a few minutes ago, there's, there's still a lot to like about him. And, and generally, I, I might predict that he gets drafted. But after you uh, said Ben Ben Victor to that answer, I decided that I was just going to go against you, just just because I feel like feel like we need to first take this up. 
That works. There's a few few other betting lines, a lot of betting lines out there for the NFL draft. Some of them more crazy than ever. I saw one earlier today, but you could bet on whether ESPN would say Swahili when Jeff Okuda gets drafted. So, yeah, I mean, you could bet on that if you want. I'm not going to analyze that one. But uh, there were a few betting lines that I thought were worth a uh, quick discussion here. Jeff Okuda over under four and a half also has even odds for the third overall pick. You know, I, I, I'd, I'd bet on him being the third overall pick. I'm not overly confident in it, but, you know, that is what I think is the most likely outcome on Thursday night is the Detroit Lions are going to stay put and they're going to take Jeff Okuda. That's what I would do too, but I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm just I'm just saying that because I feel like I've seen that in every mock draft and you're definitely the more the, 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 you're definitely the NFL guy over me, so I'll follow you there. Uh, number one, more first-round picks, Clemson versus Ohio State. Clemson is viewed as the favorite here. It's minus 350 for Clemson, plus 225 for Ohio State. I think this is one that could, that really could go either way. So if I was betting on it, I would bet on Ohio State just because I think they have the better odds. With that being said, I, I, you know, I do think Clemson's got three guys, Isaiah Simmons, A.J. Terrell, T. Higgins, who could be first-round picks, and I'm only predicting two for Ohio State with Young and Okuda. So I think the line is right where it should be, uh, but that's one that that's one I find a little bit enticing uh, for Ohio State because certainly, you know, I, I think a T. Higgins is a guy who's not a first-round lock, and a J.K. Dobbins or Damon Arnett could end up in there. And so, you know, you, you, you've definitely got a chance to hit that one for Ohio State. Similar line, Ohio State first-round picks over under 2.5. Under is minus 700, over is plus 400. So Vegas certainly thinks it's only going to be two first-round picks for Ohio State. They're probably right, but again, if I was betting on it, I'd probably bet the over because the odds are much better, and I don't think it's out of a question that J.K. Dobbins ends up in the back end of the first round. The one other betting line that, that we can mention is, is J.K. Dobbins, who is plus 900 to be the, the first running back selected. Is it, Does that feel like a – do you feel like there's value there? A little bit, because I, I don't think it's out of a question that he could be the first running back drafted. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily think he will be, but I, I also think it plus 900. Um, you know, maybe Vegas knows something that I don't, but – you know, I think there's certainly a chance. I, I think those, it's from what it sounds like, the top four running backs are all pretty close together between him and DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think Swift is the guy who most people expect to be the top running back, and he has the lowest odds. But, you know, I, I, I wouldn't surprise me. I think a lot of it's a matter of preference. And I think there's absolutely going to be NFL teams that have Dobbins as the top guy on their board. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think there's a lot to like about J.K. as as an NFL prospect. I mean, he just seems like the kind of guy who fits in the modern era of what NFL teams are looking for. Yeah, and and again, I think he's a pretty safe pick in terms of, you know, I'd be surprised if he isn't a productive back in the NFL. I'm not going to say he'll be Ezekiel Elliott, but I, I think that he's a guy who, whether it's in a rotation or as a starter, I'd be surprised if he does not have a successful NFL career. You want to take our couple questions that we got today? 
Sure, yeah, we got just a just a couple today, at least just a couple that we could answer, um, to be completely honest with you, but uh, we, we were asked by Buckeye Radar, who who is going to be the new coach Mick? Has he already been hired? Whoever it is has got big shoes to fill in a short time. I mean, to be honest with you, I really don't know on that one. Uh, I think it, without having any idea how long uh, Mickey Marotti is going to be at Ohio State, it's kind of hard to say because uh, a lot of times these things have to do with timing. You know, I mean, would would Ryan Day have been Ohio State's next coach if if Urban Meyer hadn't chosen to retire when he did? Who knows? So, uh, you know, certainly uh, there, there could be guys on staff. I know they just brought Kenny Parker back, who was – uh, the head strength and conditioning coach at, at Rutgers, and he's now back on the staff. So, you know, he could certainly be a guy who, who would maybe have that potential to be Mickey Mirati's successor at some point down the line. Uh, you know, Phil Matus, who was kind of a number two guy in that room, he just went to Boston College uh, to work with Jeff Halfley. So, you know, maybe he could be a guy down the line. But I think it's just hard to say right now because – uh, unless he unless he follows through on his April Fool's joke and decides to join a rock and roll band, uh, I think he is planning on being at Ohio State for quite a while longer. Yeah, and and I mean, I don't know necessarily if if most strength coaches come from within. I mean, if you think about just the, I think I think Mickey Murray is a pretty high profile strength coach, um, and yet. I think the probably the highest profile strength coach was Scott Cochran at, at Alabama, and when he left to go become a coach under under Kirby Smart at Georgia, Alabama didn't look within. They they went out and grabbed a guy from Indiana, and I think if you asked anybody who covered Alabama or um, was a fan of Alabama, if they had any idea who David Balu was, they would have been lying to you if they said yes. So I think that that's one of those positions that you know it's 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 pretty hard to know right now who they would go after. I think I I, I don't think they're going to have to answer that question at least for the for the foreseeable future. Finally, we were asked by Daniel, who said he was trying to trying hard to ask more questions uh, than our prolific question asker last week. He asked us to take a, take us through our day. When there is a home football game, say it's a free thirty game, what time do you guys get to the horseshoe? Do you get a parking pass? Are you guys at a press box? If so, do you guys get food? Uh, what's the best food choice there? How long does it take to write your stories, and what time is your day in? So that's a lot of questions, but uh, just one. to kind of kind of go through it. So so you're saying if, if you say it's a free thirty game, typically we try to get there at least three hours before a game. So typically. You know, I, I would get to Ohio Stadium, you know, sometime between 12 and 12.30 for a free 30 game. You know, I might leave. You know, I live about 20 minutes away uh, from the shoe if uh, no traffic. So usually I'm trying to leave my apartment by like 11.30 knowing that there's, there's going to be uh, more traffic going to a game. So, you know, that's when I get there. Um, you know, you guys have probably seen the pregame video we do. That's typically the first thing we do once uh, Colin and I and Zach are all there because he will film us doing the video. So that's typically the first thing we do when we get to the stadium. I then think I'll I think close. you're I think I think you went through the uh, the part that we all get there three to three and a half hours before the game a little bit too quickly because I feel like 
that's probably true for 50% of the games. <laughs> and then the other 50%, there's probably one person who like accidentally left a little bit too late or they were trying to fit in a little bit of breakfast or a, or a little bit of lunch or they were, I don't know, that they, they, maybe there's a little bit more traffic on the day. And then there's always, there's usually one or two people at the stadium being like, oh, is this, you know, is it, should I, should I worry yet about whether this person's going to get here in time? And you know what? We've never actually been in a situation where something actually bad has happened and, and someone hasn't made it uh, in time for uh, something very important uh, in terms of a game day. <laughs> but, um, We've but come close, and that's all we I'm have gonna come say about close. That. But 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 we've all made it, and um, the goal, like you said, though three hours before every game, easy to do for a three thirty game. Sometimes when it's a uh, when it's a noon game, the last thing I want to do is is wake up at at eight on a Saturday or seven forty five or whatever I need to, since I'm not really a morning person. But you know, you 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 do what you got to do. Yeah, and I and I think. To your point about moving through, through quickly, he did say it's a free thirty game. So I think I think if it's a free thirty game, we're yes. usually all there on time. When it's a noon game, absolutely, I think uh, it's more likely that one of us might be running a little bit late because you got to get up pretty early, you know, to get there for a noon game. Um, you know, we try to be there by nine. Um, you know, sometimes that can be tough if you uh, don't get up quite early enough, and so. and if you're like one of us who doesn't have a job that requires you to be at work at nine for at for every single day of the week and right. being somewhere at nine is all of a sudden a 12 times a year ordeal and we had a lot of noon games last year so uh, i think by the time you get to the end of the season your, your eagerness to get up at you know seven in the morning uh, to get there in time for nine o'clock for a noon game, especially when you get into you know you're playing Maryland at noon, your your enthusiasm to get up at seven in the morning uh, wanes a little bit. I think Michigan Michigan game it's usually pretty easy to get up early. Uh, you know Maryland or you know Miami Ohio or something it can be a little bit more difficult. But anyways, moving on from that, so um, you know typically yeah typically we're there early. Um, you know, typically uh, we do we do get we do get parking passes um, to answer that question. Uh, typically, you know, I, I know Colin a lot of times will literally stay down on the field from the time we shoot the video until about 15 minutes before the game. He he will pretty much stay down for the entire warm ups. I love the team it. walking onto the field, all of that. I will usually go up to the press box, upload video, get a little work done. Uh, eat breakfast or lunch, depending on what time it is. They they do provide food. It's pretty standard fare. Um, I'm not going to criticize free food, but I would say that you're not really missing out. Um, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty standard food. It's there's nothing spectacular there. There are other press boxes uh, that Iowa. serve. Yeah, I mean there are others that serve like really good food. Uh, Ohio State's is just average, um, if I'm being honest. It's it's just average, so it's fine. Um, I will eat it because because here's the thing, and this gets to the the later part of a question in terms of how long does it take. If I don't eat that press box meal, I may not eat all day. So uh, you you will eat it. You you will you will eat it even if it's not uh, gourmet cooking. So I, I usually will eat. Before I go down, I will usually go down for some of the pregame warm-ups, uh, take video, um, whatever, 
you know, then you go up during the game. You know, I typically have to have a recap filed as soon as the game is over. So for me, during the game, I'm typically writing during the game. I'm also, you know, tweeting as well and obviously kind of trying to watch as much of it as I can and absorb it. You call it how do you kind of view what you're doing typically during during a game <laughs> more less writing than you more watching the game and and trying to figure out what is happening um and and trying to jot down some notes of of you know things that you know maybe i see in the moment that that i won't uh remember when i am trying to think about what i'm writing later in the day and or or some things that might help when you know right after the game all of a sudden it ends and you just got to go over to to the uh, to the press conference and and all the interviews and ask questions you want to be at least somewhat prepared for that so you know you're trying to to do what you can to to write and write during the game and in terms of just notes for yourself later um and like you said though you're doing the you're doing the game story so you're doing the instant recap that goes up right away so obviously um that's 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 basically your main job during the game for me um is i when there's what about 10 minutes to left in the game i'll i will leave the press box go down to the field level uh, and watch the game from watch the end of the game from the sidelines. Try and take whatever video I can for for social media and whatnot. Take the video of Carmen Ohio at the end and make sure I am there for interviews because you know sometimes if it's a crazy game, if if the players and coaches are, are really fast and what they want to get said after the game, you never know. Like maybe there's a slow elevator and Dan can't necessarily get down there in time for interviews, and we want to at least have one person there every so often, maybe once or twice a, a year. You know there's something hectic like that and it's good that that i'm down there um and you know it's also it's you know when, when ohio state wins it's it's it wins a big game it's, it's cool to be on the field and, and watch them celebrate when they lose uh, i still remember one of the, the the first loss i ever covered was as a student journalist and it was at penn state in the whiteout and and having penn state storm the field and then going to urban meyer's really unbelievably solemn uh, press conference afterward that's that's pretty stark the the difference there yeah absolutely um absolutely and and i actually the, the first year that i was working here at 11 warriors i was actually the one who went down on the field later in games got caught before colin was here I and mean, when colin came we decided to switch it up and um, you know, I, I kind of prefer, you know, being up in the press box the entire game and, and doing the instant game stories. So, um, you know, we kind of decided that way. I think we both kind of prefer uh, yeah. those Yeah, I love specific... being on the field, and, and you like you like that vantage point. But uh, I think, you know, the, to, to get to the, the last question, I, I think the thing that, you know, is probably not for those of you who are listening to our podcast, because you guys probably get it, but I think for the average Ohio State fan or the average sports fan I should just say I think probably one of the biggest misconceptions is is not realizing how much work there still is after the game is over so you know I, I would say there's pro- there's more work to do after the game than there is before and during it so and it's not even close really yeah so you know you talk about you know how long does it take to write your stories I mean that could honestly vary on what the stories are uh, typically, Colin and I are both writing two stories after the game ends, and that's not including the the recap that I wrote. Um, you know, sometimes that s- second story isn't running until the next morning. But let's so again, say it's a free thirty game. So the game usually ends around 
between 6.30 and 7. Interviews usually start about like 20 minutes after the game. And those, you know, between the press conference and the player interviews, you're usually there for at least like a half hour. So you're going to be, you're not going to leave the interview room until about an hour after the game. And then, so then you head up back to the press box. Typically, the press box, if it's a free 30 game, they typically close the press box at like 11. So, you know, Colin and I are are pretty much always there until the press box closes. Um, Typically... Yeah, and that's not everybody. Some, I mean, some of the media leaves after the game is over. I don't know why they even went if they do that, but some of them leave after the game's over. Some of them go to interviews and they go home. Uh, we're typically there until the press box is closing, and then typically still have work to do when we get back home. So for a free thirty game, you know, honestly, I, I would say I'm probably. After I get home, I'm probably still doing stuff until one or two on on most days uh, on a free thirty game. So you can imagine a night game. <laughs> uh, if you if you've heard beat writers like us say that we prefer noon games, that's why. Because at least with a noon game, at least your work might be done at a reasonable hour <laughs> that you're not up into the wee hours of the morning. Uh, a night game, especially on the road. A night game can be really difficult because you're you're usually up, you know, really late into the morning, and then you've got to get up to to travel back. So uh, that's why beat writers are big fans of noon games because there's so much work to do after the game is over that even a free thirty game can make for a pretty late night. Yes, and I'll say this: I I differentiate myself from a lot of the the beat writers who would prefer a noon game under any circumstance. I think a night game against like a Penn State is absolutely awesome, and I don't care that sure it'll keep me up till three four a.m. or whatever it is. I don't even remember because I don't like thinking about that. But however late I'm up those days, I'm okay with it because I think the atmosphere is awesome. But you know what really sucks when Ohio State plays like Illinois at eight. That makes me want to blow my brains out. <laughs> that yeah. makes that makes me go insane. Um, but you know, now we're getting into reporters complaining about covering sports, and I never like to be that guy. But I had to say that there. Uh, that's probably if there's one. If I'm allowed one complaint from a, from a sports reporter co- complaining about covering sports, I'm gonna say it's just like please don't let me cover a night game that's going to be seventy-five to two. And if you really want some, some inside baseball here, I, I will tell you this. The worst turnaround of the year, and it's not even close, is after the Big Ten Championship game because it's an 8 o'clock start. So the game, you know, game ends 11.30. Then if, you know, every year I've been here, Ohio State's won it. So you have the post-game celebration on the field. Then you have open locker room. So, so that extends it out even longer. Then you have to go write your stories, and oh yeah, you have to be back in Columbus by noon the next day because they announce for college football playoff field, and then they have a press conference right after. And, so, the wor- and maybe the worst part about it is that the stories that you stay up till four a.m. writing don't matter because the college football playoff is being announced tomorrow, and no one cares about your Big Ten championship stories, and nor should they. But we but we write them anyway. <laughs> That's why. And that sucks. is one. A lot of times we'll, we'll we might only write one story after a game because we know 
uh, there's going to be bigger stories the next day. Yeah. So, you know, that's when we're probably not writing quite as long after a game as we normally would, but still, uh, it can that that three hour drive from Indianapolis. Uh, I've I've been the one who's had to do that drive every year, and I tell you that's the longest free hour drive of your life because you are sitting there praying you do not fall asleep because you are so sleep deprived. Uh, it is not a fun drive, and and I every year I tell I tell the guys you got to stay awake with me, and they always struggle to do it. Um, that so is putting it, it that very is, kindly of what I did last year. <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 is uh it it's rough. It's 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 again. Do not want to complain because covering the Big Ten Championship game is actually a lot of fun. I actually look forward to it every year because I enjoy Indianapolis. Lucas Oil is a great stadium. Uh, Open locker room is always uh, a really valuable time as a reporter since we very rarely get that in college football uh, to have the opportunity to talk to different players on the team that we typically don't get to. So uh, a lot of positives to it, uh, but I will say that that drive back, that very early Sunday morning, is not fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I told you I was going to stay awake, and then I fell asleep within two minutes and didn't even wake <laughs> up for like three hours. We were already well back in Ohio by the time I had woken up, and I was very certain I was going to be able to stay awake. So, Dan, I remember. Dan, I, I would like. I apologize. Well, your your apology is accepted. It it it's rough, and if I was in the passenger seat, I'd probably fall asleep too because. Even even driving is tough to stay awake on that drive, but but hey, you know that's 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 part of that's part of a job, and you know I mean that's again, again we're sports writers, we write about sports, we do not have the hardest jobs in the world, uh, we are under no delusions of that, but you know that is one of the stories that I tell people when they ask about being a sports writer, uh, just to make light of the fact that uh, our jobs can be difficult our jobs can be difficult and there are times that um you know you do not get much sleep but i think traveling for traveling for games uh as much as i enjoy doing it uh that is the one drawback is typically when you're traveling for a road game it typically means you're not going to get much sleep that weekend Yes, or 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 a good three hours for me personally on the road back from Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, as uh, I, 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 w- I wouldn't say that I was thrilled that uh, you were getting your sleep while I was driving back, but uh, it was a good sleep though. So there's that. It happens. It's in the past. Uh, we'll worry about this again. Uh, in December, hopefully we get to worry about. It. You know, hopefully we get to worry about it in December. Hopefully, uh, there is a Big Ten championship game, and and uh, hopefully uh, we get to cover it again and and get to have another interesting season in front of us. So uh, we will see what happens there. Uh, but but we'll wrap up this episode now. Uh, lots of different stuff to talk about today. So hope you guys enjoyed the show. And uh, next week we'll we'll wrap up the NFL draft, and I'm sure we'll have some other good stuff to talk about as well. So, uh, thanks again for listening in, and we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>